Lord Jesus, that is the cry of all of our hearts, that we would become nearer to you. And Lord, you have brought us into this house, Bethel, the house of God. Lord Jesus, named for that very place that Jacob, Lord, found and had an encounter with you. May we have an encounter with you today that will transform, that will change our lives and our hearts. Jesus, this day, for your glory, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you. It's always wonderful to be together here in the house of the Lord. For those of you that I haven't had an opportunity to introduce myself, my name is Pastor Jim Olson, and have had the the great honor and joy of serving as the pastor of this house for the last 23 and a half years. If you have been tracking with us over the last couple of months this fall, or maybe your uh, first time here this morning, just to kind of remind you where we've been, we're in our year to engage. Um, We have a yearly theme uh, that kind of helps set out a a, a trajectory, a, a focus for the year. And um, this fall, our focus has been on engaging our foundations as a congregation. And so we did an eight-week study entitled Arak, which means literally in uh, the Hebrew, it means to uh, establish a foundation or to set an order or to actually even prepare a battle plan. And so we've been going back through the eight, um, our eight, foundational principles and values as a congregation. And it's been very rich, I think, at least for me, it's been super helpful. Uh, We've heard from a number of different voices. We've been able to hear from Eric and Pastor Ben and Pastor Sam, as well as me because of this. We're able to have some other voices in there as well. And, And so we've really kind of reconnected with those vital roots that we have as a congregation And all of those are around our larger calling here as a house uh, to be, to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. Um, So this morning, uh, the next two weeks, we have a couple of standalone messages before we begin Advent in the beginning of December. And I've had a word that's been in my heart for uh, literally for many, many, many months. And uh, it's been sort of stirring around in there. And this is the opportunity and the open space to bring it. And it really does connect to the foundational word, uh, foundational words that we've been looking at this fall. And so, uh, if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to begin in Ezekiel 47. We're going to go some places today, um, and you're going to have to kind of follow with me. I'm going to try to be as logical as I can, but also the word I'm bringing to you comes out of a pretty intuitive place uh, in my spirit. And I'm beginning in Ezekiel 47 because around the time of the um, the time that we were establishing our foundational principles and values as a congregation 20 years ago. Um, the Lord was at work in my heart in a very profound way uh, about bringing spiritual renewal to my soul. And uh, somewhere around 20 years ago, back in uh, the early 90s, um, I went to a conference and um, that was around spiritual renewal, and I was pouring my heart out to the Lord, and, and uh, they had a kind of a question and answer time, and I poured out my heart, and I said, you know, I hear about the, the work and the moving of the Lord, and, and yet uh, there's a dryness in my own soul, and I, I long to see 
the Lord poured out among us. And after that, um, a, a person who was there, a prophetic intercessory person, handed me a, a little note. And on it, they said, Pastor, the Lord hears your heart, and I want to encourage you with this scripture. And the scripture that they shared with me was Ezekiel chapter 47. So you're there now in Ezekiel 47. And the picture here is the prophet being taken by the Lord to the temple. And it says, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. And then he brought me through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. And as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and led, led me through water that was ankle deep and measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep and measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist and measured off another thousand. But now was a river that I could not cross. Because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one can cross, and he asked me, Son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river, and he said to me, this water flows down to the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea, and when it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh, and swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. And there'll be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. And fishermen will stand along the shore from the Engedi from Engedi to Enegelium, and there'll be places for spreading nets. And the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. And fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river, and their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them and their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So, over the last 20 years, it's been my joy to watch this prophetic word out of Ezekiel chapter 47, I believe, have increasing fulfillment in our life together here as a congregation. We have seen the river of God flowing in our midst, and we have seen swarms of living creatures coming where the river flows, and we've seen in the spreading of nets, we have watched God bring forth a, a, a wonderful harvest among us, and, and we see those fruit trees growing, and we see the leaves, and we see the healing, and we see the fruitfulness, and we're seeing and continue to watch and observe the working and moving of the Lord through the river of God. So the river has been a a very potent and powerful picture for us prophetically here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. Now I want to bring you to another picture that the Lord gave me about 10 years ago. He, He gave me specifically a picture of Annette. And I'm not speaking of my wife, Annette. Um, I'm speaking of literally a net. And um, Noah, I need your help. Uh, Changu, can you give me a hand for a second? I need two people. All right. So I'll pick on people I know well (laughs) who can't tell me no, right? There we go. There we go. Good. So if you grab one end and you grab the other end of this. All right. So So the Lord gave me a picture of a net. 
And if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to get a quick picture here of why this is important. You saw the nets in Ezekiel 47. Come right into the middle. So now I'll move over this way just a little bit. You saw the nets there. Well, it says, one day, this is Luke chapter 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, when do fishermen wash their nets? When they're done fishing. Okay. We, he got into one of the boats, the, people belonging, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said it to Simon. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because... You say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, and you all learned this in Sunday school at some point, if you grew up in Sunday school, Don't be afraid, from now on, you will catch men and women. So they pulled their boats up on shore left everything and followed him. I will make you fishers of men. Fishers, okay, you know that? Yeah, fishers of men. All right, so. So I saw this picture of a net. And I saw this weight coming in to the net. And remember... So we're going to use two hands, both of you guys. You remember the picture in Ezekiel 47 of the fishermen setting their nets, and the picture prophetically here. Remember, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's calling the disciples. And they've finished, you know, and the fishermen are like, these, these guys, this is their living, and Jesus says, they're done fishing for the night. It's not even the right time to be out fishing. And Jesus says, why don't, why don't you just drop them out there? Just the deep water, one more time. And there's a prophetic picture there of the weight of all of those fish, so heavy that, and so full that they even began to sink. I mean, the weight on the nets from all of those swarms of living creatures, the freshness of all of those coming, this was the prophetic picture of what was going to happen to those disciples as they began in their ministry and what would happen for them for the rest of their days. And I believe it's a picture for us today. And I believe, as I shared with you 20 years ago, when I heard that word from Ezekiel 47, I've watched and observed that 
river flowing in our midst. And 10 years ago, when I received very specifically a prophetic word about the net and the weight coming into the net, and the word that I heard was that the weight was going to be the glory of the Lord and the lost and the broken coming to Him. And we see that weight in the net. Now, when you put those two pictures together, the river flowing and the nets there and the swarms of living creatures coming into those nets, what you get is you get a picture of being in tension. The word tension, the definition is it's the act of stretching. That's the active. Or the state of being stretched. That's the passive. That stretching which causes extension may result in discomfort, pressure, or stress. Now look, so this was... Hold it up a little higher there. Pull it a little, or pull it each step away. Take each a step from each other. So there's this tension going on. Now the net here was passively being stretched, but they have the option of stretching that even more, actively being stretched. And as they do, each of these um, joints, each of the places together becomes stretched, and there's a stretching of the entire net, and there is a tension as the net gets extended. There is some discomfort. There's some pressure. There's some stress that's upon the net. And just a little bit on you guys. That's not a real too heavy a weight, but think of this as the world. Because that's the call. All right. Thank you, guys. You can just leave it right up here over in the corner so I don't trip on it, but you can all keep a look at it. Thank you, guys. All right. The call of Bethel, the Bethel family of churches. We're a a family of seven congregations. The call of Bethel Christian Fellowship is to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. The call on the Bethel family of churches, the seven congregations that God has to this point brought to this house, and we heartily believe that that will multiply uh, continuously over the next years and that there will be many more congregations who will become part of this family of churches. The call of the Bethel family of churches is to radiate life and joy together as a house of prayer for all nations. Now, with that, there are three dimensions, two, uh, three dynamics, three, three strands of DNA that are a part of that call. The first has to do with being a house. And we, we, we talk about the in part of that, the inviting hospitality, a place to belong. And so part of that calling has to do with our life together as a congregation and the relationships that God establishes between us. The second part of this call is the up or the prayer of intimate spirituality being a place to believe. This is that call to host the presence of the Lord. We're going to unpack these all more in a moment. And then the third piece is the out to all nations, it is the intentional missionality becoming a place to become where we become 
uh, in the destiny of what God has called us out into the nations. So the house of prayer for all nations, the three strands of the DNA, the three dynamics in which we live, and the three places in our life together where we must learn to live in tension. So what I have to bring to you this morning really is a both pastoral and prophetic word of encouragement to the house. And this has, again, been building for many months in my heart and my spirit, and I'm going to try to do my best to unpack it for you this morning in a very transparent and real and hopefully helpful way for us. All right. Inviting hospitality. We are a place to belong, a growing intercultural community welcoming strangers to become friends. You heard it this morning. Pastor Litovic gave you a welcome this morning. We're a house of prayer for all nations, a safe place where strangers become friends, and friends become family. Okay? And that's really true. And that is the reality of the call that we have on our life together here. And it is a beautiful thing. As you look around and as you gather together, it's a wonderful, glorious thing that God is doing in our midst. It's also hard. It's also complex. It's also difficult. It's also stretching and challenging to live this out in an authentic real way. The early church discovered that. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Turn to Acts chapter 6. The church was just beginning to grow. Up to this point, it was a Jewish congregation. Can we get air for a minute? Thanks. Just turn the fan on. Thank you. I'm warm anyway, and then when I'm wearing this uh, thing, it makes me warmer still, so appreciate that. All right, Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now I want to pause there for a moment and I want to ask you a question. This is not a trick question. What are the two dynamics that are going on here that are creating? This is the first church conflict that's recorded for us in the scriptures. It's the first place where there's conflict going on. What's the conflict about? What are the two dynamics that are going on here? Come on. It's kind of obvious, but... Well, it's it's growing, so maybe there's three dynamics. Okay, so first of all, it's increasing. What's the second piece? Cultural tension. Because suddenly we've got... Up to this point, it's been Hebraic Jews. It's been those who have been part of, you know, who've been there in Jerusalem, but now suddenly... There's these people, there, there's, there's those other people who are coming from other cultures. And what's the third dynamic? What? Whining? 
that what you said? Whining? Well, that's true. But, but what is the, what's the whining about? What's that? The wallet. Economics. Okay? So these are three dynamics that are at play. It's increasing with cultural diversity and economic need. Hmm. Why? What do you think? So the church is called to respond to that need. And it says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the spirit, Philip, Procronius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When they figured it out, the church continued to grow and was continued in its fruitfulness. Bethel Christian Fellowship is growing and expanding. I think I've shared this with you when we recently did our our census over the summer of all of our family of churches. We're now an aggregate congregation of 775 active people. That's increasing rapidly. We're increasing in terms of ethnic diversity, and we're increasing in terms of economic need and economic uh, across the board in terms of where we're at in terms of all of that. So how can we and should we and do we respond to that as a congregation? How do you, how are we going to continue to be this growing intercultural community welcoming strangers? Now, I'm sharing this word with you not because this is not a critical word in the sense of this is not a word that's corrective because I think that we have a problem going on. It's a word of exhortation and encouragement because we're continuing to grow and we're going to have to continue to put our foundations deeper in order to continue to live within that extension and that tension that will continue to grow as we grow as a congregation. So here's the positive ways in which we do this. First of all, we value unity and we recognize that relationships are more important than being right. It doesn't mean that truth and rightness is just out the window. I mean, there are core values, there are core principles, there are core doctrines upon which we stand that are non-negotiable. However, in the context of preference and in the context of, of even personal preference and things like that, we come to recognize that relationship is more important than being right. Secondly, we value diversity. Differences are not simply to be tolerated, but celebrated. 
We don't just simply tolerate different people having kind of different perspectives on things or different ways of looking or doing or acting or things like that. We celebrate that because it's great beauty and joy comes out of that diversity. God is a God who loves diversity. Just look around you. (laughs) Here in this house, but look around you when you're outside, when you're paddling on your canoe on the lake. God loves diversity. He thinks it's a good idea. Something to be celebrated. See, it's a very different thing, and I appreciate, Stephen, you're bringing that. I mean, there's a difference between, I don't know. I mean, the, in the world now, you know, tolerance has become the greatest value that we, we just tolerate, okay? We're supposed to tolerate those differences or different perspectives or different things. Um, but that's an artificial thing. It's like trying to put, you know, a veneer over, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not something that's just an external. This is coming out of the heart. It's a valuing and a celebrating. And then there's a synergy. Connecting, communicating, con- collaborating, contributing. There's a, there's a way in which God calls us then. He takes that diverseness and in unity something powerful gets released that's more than one plus one. Kingdom economics is more than mathematical. It is exponential. It is multiplication. Is his heart and his call. Let me give you an example of this. When our Korean congregation first came into the I met with the leaders. And we began to talk about what it meant to be covenant partners together. And here were their words to me. Listen to this. They said it to me, but pastor... As we come in, we don't have anything to offer. Because you know what they were thinking of? They were saying, we don't have anything in our wallet to bring. Because they don't. But I said to them, oh, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) I want to correct that perception right from the beginning. We need you. Why do we need you? We need you because you have some gifts to bring to this house that we desperately need. What are some of those gifts that they bring? They bring a gift of faith. They bring a gift of faith. They bring a gift of service. They bring a gift to us of community. We live in a rationalistic culture here where what we see and can touch and feel is real. But they're bringing to us something that's supernatural, supra-rational. An acknowledgement that God is able to do above and beyond what I can see or touch or feel here. Because I've experienced and watched God do that. We need that. In a materialistic culture in which we live, where money is king and everything is about he who has the most toys wins, we need a reminder that there's something more valuable than materialism, more valuable than what I can get, and it is what I can give. 
in service. In a highly individualistic culture where everyone is separated from one another and we all have our very carefully contained space and, and you know, we've, we've built our comfort zones around us, we need a people who will remind us that there is something more important than my individual needs being met, but that I am part of something larger. I'm part of a community. And when there's a family of 13 from Idaho who's coming and who needs, the community comes together and there's floors that are made available to sleep on and mattresses begin to show up and things happen and community happens. We need that. Do you understand this? That's what synergy means. That's what it means to begin to value This unity that says, I'm not going to let anything. You know, the scripture is very clear how we are to continue to pursue unity and promote that and value that diversity and then value the synergy. Recognizing that it will be stretching. Sometimes it'll be intention because guess what? You're going to rub elbows with and begin to, to, to build relationship with people who think differently than you think, who have different sets of experiences and backgrounds. And it's glorious. It's wonderful. All I can say to you is do it, value it, step into it. It's so worth it. Amen? Secondly, Intention comes around spirituality. We're a place to believe, a joyful community passionately pursuing God and hosting His presence. Come to John chapter 4 for a minute. John chapter 4. You know the story even if you don't think you do. Most of you have heard this story. When Jesus has an interaction with a Samaritan woman. Now right there, that tells you some things. Just the fact that Jesus is having an interaction with a Samaritan woman clues us in that something unique is happening here. Because for a rabbi, a teacher, a a religious leader to be interacting with a woman and with a woman of another culture, that is unique. So they're having this conversation, and you remember the story, and Jesus kind of unfolds her life and tells her what's really going on and, you know, all of that. And then he says to her, She says to him in verse 19, verse 19 of John 4, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak am he. So what do we learn about this? Because here we have... So, so she's, she's bringing out a, a tension 
well, we're Samaritans and, and we believe that we need to worship on this mountain, but, but you're Jews and you believe that you would, should worship on this mountain. And Jesus says something profound to her that we need to hear afresh again here this morning. To pursue his presence, we need to recognize that his presence is more important than our preference. Thirty years ago, Annette and I were married in a church. Not the church we'd grown up in, but the church that we ended up attending after college. A sister church of this church. At the time, it was called Homewood for Gospel Church. It's now called All Nations Church. And it's in the south suburbs of Chicago where we grew up. And it was really a forerunner church. Um, I don't know how much history you know. If you grew up where we did, you know this history well. There's an enormous amount of racial tension in the south suburbs and south area of Chicago. Just, just intense racial challenges over the years, particularly between African-American and white, but there's other tensions that were present. And Homewoodful Gospel had made this deliberate, they, they you know, and, and I never, I wasn't far enough along in my life journey to, to actually ask any questions about how this had happened, but the congregation was very diverse. There really was a forerunner congregation down there with, with uh, probably 40% African-American, maybe 40% white, and 20% other. And I remember Pastor Peterson, who was the pastor at the time, one time, I remember him sharing from the pulpit, and he said, you know, I have people who come to me and say, Pastor, are we going to have black worship, or are we going to have white worship? And his response was, what we're going to have is we're going to have biblical worship. Now, there are styles, and there are preferences, and we need to recognize that, and we need to celebrate and value the diversity of expressions that happen. And yet, all of it, at the heart of it, at the root of it, we recognize that his presence is more important than my preference. If your song doesn't get sung on a Sunday morning, that's not the issue. The issue is, am I in his presence? Are we together coming in his presence? Not whether I'm going to worship on this mountain or that mountain or in this way or in that. By the way, nobody said that to me, so I'm not responding to something specific here, but I'm illustrating for us, all right? And we're going to pursue his truth because we're going to recognize that our obedience is more important than our rules and rituals. Our obedience to him is more important than the way we do it or the rules we think of how church should be. So that means all kinds of things, okay? So, so you know, I mean, sometimes, and I feel this, there's this tension of, of time. So we've got this, typically a two-hour service here at Bethel, and, and, and for some folks, that feels like really, really long. Okay, it just does. I mean, this is honest. For other people, we're kind of just getting started. Why are we ending? Honest. If you come from a background where a three-hour service is the typical, I mean, I have friends who, uh, who, walk, who have walked into other, you know, maybe a, a, a typical, I, I don't want to, well, anything, whatever, okay. Maybe a, a typical Minnesota church service, which is done in maybe an hour and 15 minutes, 
you know, and, and maybe they didn't get there right at the beginning of service, okay, and they got there, you know, a few minutes kind of before the benediction, and then they're like, what happened? Are we not having church today? Okay? So there's, there's tension sometimes. Because our preference can be of one thing or another. Do we understand? Am, am I communicating at all? Anybody? Is this clear? Okay, I'm just kind of bringing to light things that are, okay, that are just real, honest stuff that, that we face. Okay? The tension between reflective and celebrative or whatever, all of the different ways in which, I mean, worship is such a personal thing. But I want you to understand it, and, and, and I, I do carry a deep concern because I feel like in our culture, we've kind of, because of our consumer culture, we've come to kind of a cafe mentality, and if I don't like what I see here, I can go here, and I can go here, and I can find what works for me. But let me just say, it's not all about me. Right? It's all about him. So it's not about scripting or, you know, I mean, there are congregations that are kind of moving towards, towards very individualized worship where, where it's all about the individual worshiper and their experience between them and God. And there is a place for that. There really is. And we need to be having that encounter with the Lord regularly in our own homes. But when we come together, we're coming together as the people of God. And it's not about my own individual experience. It's about sharing the joy of, you know, having Joel up here doing his kickbox punching thing, whatever. I get to rejoice in that. Right? Because here's my brother expressing his worship. Last thing, the out. Intentional missionality, we are placed to become a life-giving community, living out God's mission to reach all peoples. In Luke chapter 19, go there, Luke 19. We're almost done, so you guys are doing great. We really are. We're really close. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, and since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, and all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Here's the deal, people. If you're going to be an... If we're... If we are going to be an intentional missional people, it's going to put us and thrust us out into places where we are uncomfortable. Let me give you a very practical example of this. I've talked to my Mosaic group about this and told them I would use us as an illustration. For the last year, we've been asking the Lord, how are we going to go out? How are we going to stretch out into our neighborhood? What are we going to do? And, and then this brilliant idea came uh, to uh, Amy Watson, I think, and, and, and to Phil, our leaders, and, and, and about reaching out into our neighborhood and having a, 
outreach, uh, or an outreach into our neighborhood by inviting neighbors to come and help us collect goods for our Corinne congregation. But here's the deal. In Phil's neighborhood, a very, you know, a, just a, a very St. Paul neighborhood, kind of in the McAllister-Groveland area, I mean, the neighborhood culture is, so when you come and you gather together as a people, you bring your bottle of wine with you, and you, you know, it's, it's just a part of the culture. Okay, that's not necessarily a part of the culture of, of those of us that grew up in more uh, backgrounds where that, that just wasn't done. Okay, let's just put it that way. All right. So now here we have this, me- so, so what are we going to do with this? And some of us even who have personal convictions around the use of alcohol, okay, based on, for some of us, because of family members who are alcoholics or struggle, you know, all of those kinds of things. There's, there's a lot of, so there's some tension. So we had to talk through and pray through, what are we going to do with this? And we decided, by God's grace, it was more important to go forward to reach into our neighborhood. And so as Phil so graciously put it when he shared the testimony about it, we had the combination of a church potluck and happy hour, okay? As all the neighbors came, okay, you know? But what happened was, and what's happening, it's incredible, is God just opened up something in the hearts of neighbors. And they're continuing to bring stuff to Phil and Amy, and they've said many of them, this was the best thing we've seen in forever, one of them has gone to, one of the gals in the neighborhood has gone, she's come to Amy and said, can I, can, can my book club, can we, can we start organizing to bring stuff as a book club? No, no, we can't have that. No. <laughs> of course. Okay, but it, it's, a, it's a tension place, right? I'm being really honest here. Is this okay? You all right with this? This is a tension point. How do, we, how do we be in the world and not of it? Well, well, Paul says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. So radiating life means that our purpose is to bless and be a blessing wherever we go. That's what that means. We are called to be a blessing wherever we are, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your home, wherever you are, when you're thinking about radiating life. When I think about Jesus, the one thing that I think about him, if I have one thing that describes who he was, he was a life giver. Wherever he was, life broke out. And that means being a blessing and radiating joy. Our gospel is infectious, bringing light and hope wherever it goes. And people... We've got a really bad reputation in the world. They don't like us. I had a great, and this is for another sermon I'll tell you sometime. I had a great conversation with a bunch of the men from the neighborhood that very night about the rap on the church. Here's the rap on the church. It's a bunch of hypocrites who are judgmental. And we talked that through. It was beautiful. Because the gospel is infectious. It's full of light and joy. It's a blessing. Remember Pastor Sam last week? We're a force, not a fortress. And in the old days, if unclean touched clean, clean became unclean. In Jesus, when clean touched unclean, unclean became clean. 
Now, there's a lot of nuances here that I don't have time to unpack. I'm giving you a flyover, but the big piece that I want you to get as we live in this tension is that God has called us out to bless and touch. And it will be a tension, and that's where you need community to pray it through, to talk it through, to listen together carefully to one another, to hear one another's hearts, to navigate. You might not always make, you know, we're not always going to get it right, but we're out there. We're seeking to get it to move forward. Everybody got it? Okay, go to John 21. Here's where we end. John 21. While you're going there, here's the principle. The capacity of the net. I'm sorry, can I borrow Changu? Noah, can I borrow you one more time? Thanks. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. The capacity of the net is tested and proved as it is stretched by the weight that it is given to carry. Our capacity as a congregation is going to continue to be tested by the weight which we have been given to carry. Here are some quick principles about tension. First of all, tension is inevitable. Say it with me. Tension is inevitable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really transparent again. Sometime this summer, I'd had a week of very intensive interactions, cross-cultural interactions where there was complexity and, and challenge and tension. I got to the end of the week after a, a, a number of different, really significant congrega- uh, conversations. A lot goes on, more than what you see on a Sunday morning. There's just a lot happening. And it was a Saturday afternoon, and I went to the Lord. And this is the honest truth. I have these, sometimes I just have very simple, direct conversations with the Lord. And I said to him this. I said, Lord, is it always going to be like this? And you know what he said? Yes. (laughs) And you know why? Because he said, because this is what you signed up for. This is what it means to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, for an unreformed idealist like me, who sees the best, I try to, you know, I just see the best about all, you know, whatever, I'm kind of that optimist. You know, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Okay, that's me. Okay. That realism of tension's inevitable. It's just part of the package. If you're married, if you have kids, you got tension. If you're not married and you don't have kids, you got tension. It's just inevitable. And it's necessary because it's the thing that proves our usefulness. It's necessary because without tension, we're not going to be useful. It's necessary and It's positive. Actually, it's positive because it's tension that brings balance. And it's productive because it's tension that expands our life. I can't do this. I really can't do that right now with this. Because of my, you know, because of my injury. But if I can't do this, the reason I can do this is because of tension. 
My muscles are working with and against one another in tension. To extend my arm requires tension. Tension is very productive. All right, so final scripture. Go to John 21. You there? You've been there for a while, sorry. All right, John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. This is right after the resurrection. Remember, he was called Luke 5, we had the calling of the disciples. Now we're going to have the recalling. They're getting recalled. <laughs> All right, Simon Peter, blah, 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 they were there. Two other disciples were together. Verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. They said, eh, we're going to go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You're going to find some. There he is, Jesus the carpenter, given the professional fishermen fishing advice. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, It's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. And this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now what's this about? What this is about is this. Stand in the middle again. Move over this way just a little bit. That 153 fish, that's not just there as kind of an editorial note. It's just not some random number. 153 was the number that in that time and in that stage of life, that was the number, that was the numbers of different kind of people that they knew of in the world. They knew that there were 153 cultures. People from 153 different ethnic backgrounds. That was what was known in the known world. So the 153 catch of fish was a prophetic word that the net of the Lord and the river of God is going to catch because there's going to be every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every people group around that throne in that day. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that. And I'm going to be willing as your pastor to live in tension. And I'm inviting us as a congregation to continue to live in tension. Because I'm afraid to tell you this because it's very countercultural to American culture. But this is not a place that's simply, it's a safe place, but that doesn't mean it's always comfortable. We're called to be a safe place, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be comfortable. Okay? So let's just be clear, let's be honest, let's be upfront. This comes with a program. Is it always going to be like this? Yes. Yeah. So, the world, that's the picture, the net and the world. Got it? Is this did, did this connect? You catch this? This is important. As we're talking about those foundational principles and values. 
All right. Holy mackerel, where did time go? I'm so sorry. Talk about tension. Some of you are like, where is the roast? Is he going to get done? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand together. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. But I'm going to give a, de- I'm going to give a benediction before we sing because I, I do want to pay attention to your time. Forgive me. Uh, can we just all together open our hands right now? Lord Jesus, you have entrusted this house with a call. A call to be a house of prayer for all nations. And Lord, that trust is a sacred trust that you've given to us. And you've called us as a family of churches to radiate life and joy together as a house of prayer for all nations. And Lord, um, we don't even have a clue or a chance to fulfill that without your grace and without your goodness, without your spirit. So we're asking you to come and help us become the people that you've called us to become. Help us to live this out. Help us to live the belong and the believe and the become. Lord, I'm profoundly grateful for this group of men and women. And Lord, I just want to particularly just thank you for those that have walked this journey with me for over 20 years. And I want to thank you, Lord, for those that you've brought in along the way and those that you've brought in even very recently, Lord, as you continue to bring in, even the new members today that you've brought in, Lord, to help us fulfill this call. Lord, we want to continue to press out. So take us, lead us, help us. And now may you be filled afresh this very day. Again, with hands open. With the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son. With the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. In Jesus' name and for his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.